Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. And today's film is The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which was requested on Facebook. Uh, we didn't watch it at the cinema, and by the time it was requested to us, uh, we had to wait till it was out on DVD. So that's, that explains the placement of this uh, this release. Uh, you watched it on DVD or iTunes, Lloyd? Oh uh, yeah, I hired it on iTunes. That's a good way to go. I um, did the same, and uh, we're going to be spoiling a lot of this. If you haven't already seen or had it spoiled for you, I'll just warn you, Amazing Spider-Man 2... Spoilers straight away, guys. So if you haven't seen it, just be advised. Lloyd, uh, the budget's approximately $200 million on this film. It broke even with about $202 million, but I'm guessing the merchandise made $500 million. <laughs> yeah, um, we it... actually did the podcast on the first one, uh, a podcast on the first Amazing Spider-Man, the reboot, so you guys should definitely check that out as well. Yeah, I... Um... I didn't remember if Chris Cooper was in the first film. We've just talked about it off mic. Uh, I couldn't remember if there was a goblin in the first film at all. I thought it was just the lizard. But he was he's such a prominent actor, and obviously he's dying at the uh, point we see him in this film, that I really did question whether or not I missed a whole arc from <laughs> yeah. the first film. And we just um, looked it up, confirming he wasn't in the first one. <laughs> it's strange, isn't it? Because it feels like, you know... We, I feels like deleted scenes or something that, that we missed something because why would Chris Cooper agree to this? Yeah, he's like an Academy Award nominated, if not winning actor. Why is he taking this deathbed scene for like <laughs> one and a half scenes? It just doesn't make any sense. Because they're not making a Born Identity five, all right? <laughs> oh wait, he died in the Did, first one, didn't he? <laughs> this is where the two hundred million dollars is going. I mean, you're paying all these people. Paul Giamatti didn't have to play his character. No, either. yeah, and that was um, so under, so beneath him that role. Like, I'm not putting down comic book roles, but that particular character was just insane. It didn't feel quite right. This film from the get go, and you have that massive kind of prologue of the plane crash and what happens with uh, Peter Parker's dad. And I kind of would maybe have preferred it if he'd been alive. At the end of the first film, they do that. Are you going to tell him what really happened with his father bit? You know, that kind of implies that maybe he could still be out there, still be alive, and, like, they could have changed the mythology of Spider-Man. But then they immediately show he did die in the plane crash, not before, you know, sending his file to a secret underground station, Lloyd, <laughs> which uh, was in perfect condition. Very convenient. <laughs> I don't know if that was worth showing. I feel like that scene could have been in the credits. Yeah. As something that maybe, and spoilers guys, but Gwen Stacy dies. Uh, after Gwen Stacy's death, maybe he could have been angry, thrown the calculator against the wall, then discovered the subway tokens, then gone and found that, and that would have renewed his sense of worth, maybe given him something to do. He finds that, he finds what was going on with his dad, and then, you know, he wants to be Spider-Man again. Maybe, you know, it's less... Like a reason to put the mask back on, if that makes sense. Yeah. But the placement of it, he just found it, watched the little video and went, okay, subplot tied up. Yeah. A lot of you things know? were very convenient. Um, oh, uh, yes. Some very sloppy writing. Uh, uh, one of my big complaints of the last movie was the skateboard sequence where the film 
breaks away into this dated like music video where he's happy that he's going to go out with Gwen Stacy. I thought that sequence was so stupid. And in fact, I didn't like the first Amazing Spider-Man. And this movie's got a lot of, you know, it's got, had a lot of critical attacks. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure Honest Trailers Screen Junkie did a whole 130 things wrong with Spider-Man 2 in 11 minutes or something, which is really entertaining to watch. Um, and a lot, one of the biggest thrusts of the complaints is the length of this movie, which I agree. Uh, I think the film could have shaved off 20 minutes. Uh, everything you said, Dave, um, you know, those weak little plot points should have just been, you know, better written. <laughs> um, but to be honest, I actually like Spider-Man too. I, I think the two leads, they have a lot of uh, chemistry together. I think they're still going as we uh, going out as we speak in real life. Or did I read that? I they think were... so. I haven't, I haven't heard yeah. anything about them breaking yeah, up, I'm, I guess. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're still going out. And I love the scene where Peter Parker sees her from across the road and he walks through traffic, like almost hypnotized by her. I thought that was really nice. It sort of reminded me of Murnau's Sunrise, which is a silent film in the 20s. Um, But I find something really interesting about the mythology of Spider-Man 2. I think it's it's in the undercurrent. At the center of this world is Oscorp, and it's like this um, laboratory that manufactures all these monsters. Um, yep. Yet, yet the city absolutely needs the corporation. It thrives on it, and it ha- and the city has to suffer under these incarnations. Like all the victims of Oscorp are people who are sick, sometimes physically, but often, of course, mentally. And like a, you know, there it, it's a sign of an unhealthy city. Sort of products of alienation, like Jamie Fox. Or, you know, violent crime like Peter Parker with the loss of his uncle. And I think it's a subtle layer, one that I wish would be more centralized in the third movie. And I I think the actor Dane DeHaan, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Yeah, from Chronicle. Yeah, he looks amazingly like um, DiCaprio in some scenes, I want to say. Okay. Yeah, (laughs) like a young DiCaprio. But I, I think he did a terrific job in this movie. I think he's an incredible talent. Look, I think he, it's, we've talked about this before, but I mean, restarting a franchise like this, you're recasting characters for actors who, you know, played that four or five years ago. It's, it's a tricky one. Um, I don't mind Dane DeHaan. He seems interesting as a, as an actor. And we talked about how he had a great presence in Chronicle. We talked about a possibility of Chronicle 2, if uh, anybody cares to listen to that podcast. This, this though is, he's on the rise. He's an actor on the rise. He's, um been plugged into this franchise and that's where the money is really 200 million dollars and sounds like he's going to be in a couple of films by the way this film ended um you know getting together the sinister six or you know whatever set of villains spider-man's gonna have to face next yeah i didn't like at the end he was walking um some guy was walking through this hallway and you see all the dr octopus yeah so i think you're right I mean, Dr. Octopus was very iconic in Spider-Man 2 with Tobey Maguire and Alfred Molina as Dr. Octopus. It feels like it's too soon to revisit that. Mm. And I think they did the smart thing by having the lizard in the first film and Gwen Stacy. It becomes like a fresh, different thing. It's a new take on Spider-Man, right? Yeah. You've got this existing character you love, but this different kind of world. And by bringing in the old stuff, you're just offering up comparisons. Yeah. 
It's complicated, but um, and, and it's like uh, I think we mentioned this so many times in the the first podcast we did on Amazing Spider-Man One that it's just too soon for a remake, and if they're not going to do enough fresh looks on things, it just becomes like oh, we're going through the motions again, you know, but with just different actors. Uh, it's a really strange uh, scenario. <laughs> Look, I really like Andrew Garfield. I think he's a really good actor. I've seen him in lots of stuff, and. I didn't like Tobey Maguire's wide-eyed look and always thought <laughs> you said he, he wasn't was a, quite right. You said he always said he had a very punchable face. <laughs> yes. Yes, he does. For me, Jamie Foxx is interesting as Electro, but I think they did something in this film which they made the exact same mistake in Spider-Man 3 where they have perhaps too many villains. Yeah, I agree. And that blew out the runtime and even with that runtime they still only had two big fight scenes with Electro so they had the one where he discovers his power in Times Square and the end fight scene Yeah, do you know what I mean? that's it and for a film called Rise of Electro you would expect more Electro yeah there was so much to take because Jamie uh, Jamie Foxx's character I just didn't know where he was coming from I, I understood he was a bit insane um, that that was clear, but his motive for hating Spider-Man was unjustified or wasn't properly built up. He just wasn't given. And, and Jamie Fox is a very good actor. That he could have they could have given uh, given him a lot more room to play and and develop. And then all of a sudden you got to take in um, you know uh, the Green Goblin and his evolution. And then, uh, and then you've got this character Rhino, which is in the background. You know, is he coming? You know, is he going to resurface again? It's they introduce, as you said, too many things. Uh, too many things are going on, and I, I think it becomes a bit crowded. The other thing, very much reminded me of Amazing Sp- uh, sorry of Spider Man Three, is that Venom, played by Topher Grace in that film, becomes Venom at the end. Is used for one little fight scene. And then that's it. And it was exactly the same thing with Green Goblin. <laughs> which was annoying. I mean, I know he's integral in the death of Gwen Stacy, but it was... Yeah, I mean, you knew he was coming. He's in the trailer. Yeah. Oh, speaking of trailer shots, that uh, bit with Rhino, the very final frame of the film. <laughs> with the I kids had seen in there. that in the trailer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so frustrating because... I knew when it was coming towards that shot that they were going to cut to black. I was feeling it. I was like, oh, no, this is exactly what, you know, leave on a big action note. But never should have been included in the trailer. (laughs) That's bad editing. Did you like the scene where um, Gwen Stacy's trying to escape from Oscorp and then they hide in like a a little um, janitor closet and she's and he's just like wow you hid in the most cliched of hiding spots and she's like at least yeah at least he said it (laughs) and then she goes I'm sorry I couldn't take you to the Bahamas of hiding places that was great (laughs) I mean but that some of that feels like it comes from ad-libbing and from their good chemistry I'm completely with you on their chemistry Um, I read that the bit where he uh, webs her hand to the police car and she yells out, Peter, and then, like, stops herself. Yeah. <laughs> because obviously she's saying his identity. That was accidental and ad-libbed. And then they thought, that's pretty funny, we'll include it. I wonder <laughs> how many moments weren't in the script, you know? Yeah. It annoyed me that the the insanity of Jamie Foxx's character, he walks around with too many blueprints, like, ridiculously, in a bumpy pedestrian road. Spider-Man saves him, and like you say, then he has hate for Spider-Man that's unjustified. Yeah. 
he just can't control his powers. He's unsafe. And then he says, like, it's his birthday, which was interesting, like, because he's now Electro, he's been born or reborn. And he changes far too much as a character without any real push. Like, Spider-Man's just talking to him. Hey, this is my, my buddy Max, blah, 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 you know. And then, yeah, it just does not fit. His teeth as well. Did you see that? When he transforms, the gap in his teeth goes? Yeah, what's the deal with that? I can't explain it. Um, electricity pumps through him in the most ridiculous scene where he falls into that massive vat of electric eels yeah. with no lid. Um, I was very annoyed at that. I had to pause it and just, you know, <laughs> clumsy. First of all, this has been talked about on other things, but the fact that Oscorp, like, no 24-hour maintenance... <laughs> and things just weren't plugged in and he gets sent down to fix it based on nothing uh and his smarmy boss bj novak plays that character Smythe. he says you know stay back late fix something happy birthday and then never reappears again there's no comeuppance mm. um he doesn't do anything about that character and like such a silly little role for bj novak to take yeah, as if well. anything his hatred should have been directed towards him yes yeah very much but the OHS of having that open vat of electric eels just drove me nuts. I just thought this is so clumsy. Um, you could have had various other ways that it happened. I mean, he could have broken through something, you know, that there could have been some kind of layer there, but it's just nothing. What, what, they probably should have just cut out Electro and just had a focus on the Green Goblin, but then you would just be treading, you know, old ground, yep. what um, Sam Raimi exactly. had already done, yeah. He was uh, kind they, of shoehorned um, in, wasn't he? <laughs> they they had so many shots that were clearly for TV spots and trailers, like that one, the final shot of the film with the rhino where he's swinging that sewer grate, but also standing on the top amount of Brooklyn Bridge. Yep, the amount of shots that Spider Man is falling and swinging, and that was done so well in the first trilogy, the amount of sort of uh, swinging and web slinging, you know, all that sort of camera work. Um, but the way he's falling for ages. The first time we see Spider-Man, which is like nearly 10 minutes into the film, P.S. Um, the way he's falling, it would have meant that he'd have to swing off something ridiculously high into the air and then like hold for a while and fall. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And again, it's been pointed out, but he's just, he's got a, a phone on him. <laughs> he's just like, he's got everything he needs every time. <laughs> he needs that little backpack. In the comics, Spider-Man has a little backpack. I didn't notice it's made that. Of, right. It's made of webbing. Um, not all the time. Some different incarnations of Spider-Man have it. But it's very plausible that he would, like, web his clothes into a little web backpack and just carry that around. <laughs> From what I, I hear, uh, this film was decently successful, and obviously they're going to go ahead with uh, a Spider-Man 3. Have you heard anything of how far they're going to take this um, franchise with this cast and crew? Like, are they going to go all the way to five? Um, what's the plan? Or are they just going to do a trilogy? Well, um, what's her name? Uh, Emma Stone is signed on for another one. And I don't know whether or not that she's going to be a ghost like her dad. Um, it sort of felt pretty strange to have him appear in a couple of scenes just to, um, you know, put guilt on the Spider-Man. There is a, a Spider-Man 4 on IMDb as well. So based on the success of three, presumably there'll be a four, uh, Spider-Man three is due 2018. So that's a decent gap. Um, 
if they just space out the films like that, they hold on to the rights, they get all the merchandise, even if the films aren't good or successful, I guess you just kind of keep pumping them out. Yeah. It's a shame because there were some positives um, in this film, and I, and I liked it compared to the first one. Uh, but yeah, there was uh, huge flaws, and I'm all for the critics um, that are attacking this film very aggressively. I I do agree with a lot of their points, but there is that subtle layer that I think is there, and can they can really save this in the third one, like turn around the franchise? I think. <laughs> but at the moment, do you think Sam Raimi is a better franchise than this so far? Um, Sam Raimi's three or um, his there's good one and, bad and two in both. were quite good. Yeah, his one and two were good. The three is where he went really wrong. Yeah. Um, but for them, three is the introduction of Mary Jane. They cast an actress to play Mary Jane, and she's the girl from Divergent, Shailene Woodley, I think. Um, and she's shot scenes, and then they've cut her out. So they were <laughs> going to introduce her. Um, she got a paycheck, but then didn't need her. So she must come into the third film, and it must be that he's you know lost Gwen Stacy and therefore doesn't think he can love they again. They should have done that with Venom. <laughs> <laughs> this this film just reeked of too much money. Um, did you see how many NYPD police cars piled up in that first scene <laughs> against that truck that had plutonium or something which had no purpose? Like, why were they stealing that? And everyone strangely uses Sony products. I wonder why. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so much. <laughs> Look, let me ask you. Did you foresee Gwen Stacy dying? Uh, yes, only because I heard about it before. Okay, um, her whole speech at the graduation feels about like it's about her death. Mm. I knew she died in the comic books, so I was pretty ready for this Yeah, I heard about that as well. Yeah, so um, everything where she says something about life or something just feels like it's been worked in to spell out her death, and it's far too obvious, (laughs) I feel. Harry Osborne chronicles Dane DeHaan. Not bad. I think he did an okay job. Apparently there was a big subplot with uh felicia is it his uh secretary right they had like a romantic subplot that was totally cut out how long was this film you must ask yourself i'd like to see and a that- director's cut <laughs> oh okay <laughs> the felicia cut. the girl that he promotes that is now yep. leading okay wow all right that's interesting well yeah i mean she seems to like like him and want to help him and that is explained by deleted scenes of the two of them having a relationship yeah which we don't really get the first time through. So, anyway, interesting. He goes kind of crazy, Spider-Man, and based on finding out stuff about his dad, he puts all those things on the wall, all the maps and all the, like, yeah. you know, photos, all that kind of crap. It's weird he how he sticky tapes... Job. Yeah, it's weird how he sticky tapes the frame to the yeah. wall. Like, why don't you just hang it? Like, it's a framed you know photo. He has webs, like, he can shoot <laughs> webs and stick things to walls. Why not just use that? <laughs> Disappointing. Um, what did you think of Electro's look? Because, I mean, the deep voice modifying stuff was good. I thought I liked that. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I like the whole laboratory sequence. I thought that was so cool. And the color schemes all the way through it, like the blue and everything like that. It just looked fantastic. And particularly when... Um, uh, 
the Green Goblin Harry Osborn comes in and telling him, oh, I'm going to let you go and we can get revenge on Spider-Man, which is so strange. It's just like, hold on, you know that he hates Spider-Man just from that video you watched? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that was very strange. But I just love that, the the look of it. Like, the, the blue looked really good in those sequences and particularly the climax where you had all those weird um, electronic towers and he's firing it off. That, that, that looked good. I won't say I was excited or anything like like that in the climactic sequence but it looked really cool and i liked it how spider-man was getting in jokes like the like it's sort of like a throwback to what he actually does in the comics he's very witty like he says witty lines so i think it should have focused more on that i guess like spider-man under duress and still making jokes about the combat that'd be pretty interesting yeah, yeah. yeah. spider-man's clever witty guy and he had more jokes in the first 20 minutes of his appearance than yeah well, when he was chasing down combined. rhino <laughs> when he was chasing down rhino you're right yeah there was a lot of comedy in that <laughs> and i mean they had so many different like he's accidentally wearing the spider-man costume like the graduation <laughs> moment these all felt like merchandising ideas he's you got <laughs> spider-man wearing a fireman's hat you got spider-man wearing a graduation hat it's funny to put spider-man in hats but i mean just these felt like ideas for toys um for me the silliest thing is jamie fox i know it's a family-friendly film but when he becomes electro like he has shorts on these like black shorts and then he's able later to just kind of disappear reappear yeah and he has that where did he get the suit the the superman suit that uh, I, I'm assuming that um, where where they took Oscorp? him, yeah, Oscorp, where they took him in that laboratory, they were manufacturing, a, uh, trying to get gain his powers, and then manufacturing a suit around those powers. So I'm assuming it was all there, but yeah, it was really strange, a big jarring thing. It's just like, all right, all of a sudden he's got this super suit, and the suit can disappear with him. He can go into electrical sockets. Very strange, um, you know, breaking of the rules. <laughs> yeah, or introducing Look- of new rules, I should say. There's a Spider-Man villain I'd love to see, which um, Carnage. it's so simple. Well, that's simple too, isn't <laughs> it? Um, I think his name was Hydro, and he was literally just able to do what Sandman does, but with water. Yeah. You know? And, like, it just makes them able to have somebody like that who can just kind of... Because he's water, he just goes through a drain, disappears, nicks off if he needs to, you know, floods things. He can drown people, fill a room full of water, things like that. It's, like, quite a just easy visual villain and i think in the cartoon series he defeated him by having him chase him and it was like a hot day and like he eventually sort of started to evaporate sort of yeah using the elements against him there's lots of ways to defeat it this electricity thing um i don't know in a way electro's stupid powerful you know because he can just go click and fry someone's brain yeah. you know shoot electricity at the speed of light at somebody you know but they didn't really take advantage of it like i said they only had two fight scenes yeah and i just didn't i didn't see him as the it wasn't the rise of electro for me Uh, do you wonder what sort of stuff they've cut out of this film yeah, well, now that you mentioned the relationship between uh, Harry Osborn and his assistant, I would love to see a lot more of that. Because uh, easily Harry Osborn, 
uh, is the best character in the movie, I think. He's just got more layers and superbly acted by Dame Dane DeHaan. And I think another strength of the movie, which they could have focused even more on, is simply the relationship between Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone and Andrew Gar- Garfield's aunt. Um, I think that should have been the central pieces um, of the movie. I, I think it was in a way. They just They just had too many loose plots, like the whole father thing and... You, you know, and then him finding out the whole backstory of him and he's related to Oscorp. Just like, well, okay, this is a 20 minutes I can shave off. <laughs> they did that thing that movies do these days where they have a pre-existing uh, backstory. Yeah. So when Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker runs into uh, Green Goblin's Harry Osborn, they're like, they do know each other. There's an initial kind of, you wonder if this is their meeting for the first time or whatever. And it's like, oh, yeah, we used to be buddies and they take a walk together. What was the relationship between um, Sandman and um, and Peter Parker? Like, at the end, did they know each other? I'm talking about the third um, Spider-Man film. The Sam Raimi one. I believe that he was uh, divorced, if I remember correctly. And um, he was just trying to get some money so he could see his kid and, like, that sort of thing like he was an ex-con and did he have anything um, to do with the death of the uncle of um no no okay no right no i don't think so yeah so okay that's a good thing because my favorite villain in the whole spider-man movie adaptation so far is sandman because <laughs> yeah it was yeah. simply there was no relation he was simply you know this guy and he was a tragic character he was doing that he, he was committing crime and that that's what a lot of the fundamentals of superhero movies a lot of these villains are poor people trying to feed their families or they're insane and then you have these vigil mask vigilantes that are beating them up that that's one of the primary prime part of a lot of comic books um and i think sandman was the best representation of that it's just such a pity the the whole movie was just garbage and uh, it would have been interesting had they taken electro into a more tragic turn like he is an insane urban alienated character they just didn't give him any room to breathe and i don't think there was any room for him to breathe in this movie that's so crowded it was crowded. I'm now doubting my analysis of Sandman. I don't remember him having any relationship to Peter no, Parker. No, I think, I I think you're him- right. I want to watch it again, but I just remember being like turned off when he started dancing. Remember that sequence? Mm. Yeah, that was just like, what? Emo dancing. Yeah, the emo yeah. dancing. Where did that come from? I remember watching that guy. What's happening? Is this is this Spider-Man 3? What, is, uh, <laughs> did something just happen to the real? <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? The, um, I don't know. I think Electro was underused. I also think goblin was underused i feel like it was a lot of spider-man gwen stacy stuff because they needed to pay off her death in the end yeah um but there was a bunch of stuff that it was like you probably should have watched the first film because they sort of retread some of that you know what would uncle ben have said oh particularly um, with the father of gwen stacy how he could yep, yeah he ghost. foresaw the issues and you know it was just like don't go near my daughter yeah Dennis which is Leon. funny i mean he learns the hard way doesn't he because he stays with her he dates her um, he's responsible for her death uh, as much as the Goblin is. And, yeah, look, he was going to move to London as well and, like, abandon his Aunt May and abandon crime and, like, great responsibility he has. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Yeah. Look, Harry's um, desk, when he drops that thing on the desk and it lights up. Yep. It was like Minority Report, right? Yeah. So he's got all these screen desks and they're, they're featured in films quite a bit now. And uh, people seem to be implying that, 
following iPads and touchscreen technology that we're going to see desks that way. But the thing they're not thinking about, and it's very obvious if you watch that scene, is he's going to have awful posture and everyone's going to ruin their backs (laughs) if they're the way... They wouldn't be designed the way tables are right now. They would be on an angle. So it would be like an architect's bench, you know, it'd be on a slight angle to you. So when you're looking at it, you know, you wouldn't be... Oh, he's just... He ruins his posture, craning his neck down. Like, <laughs> I'm all for these That's a really desks. interesting point. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> but it's ridiculous. <laughs> I, I always have this problem when I watch movies. And this... Over 100 podcasts, this is what I've discovered, is that I'll pick on things that don't make sense to me. I'm very... I don't know. Uh, I'm very practical. And I look at things and I go, well, that wouldn't work. Or they wouldn't say that. Well, that's not how people are, you know? And I guess when I watch a movie and it all feels like truth, I have a great time. Um, if the world and everything is believable, awesome. But it, these little things that take me out of the movie, yeah, that that's where it gets me, you know? Um, when I have a cinematic experience, like, I mean, Place Beyond the Pines, I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, you know, I've seen films across this podcast and, and over the last few years that I've thoroughly enjoyed, but then you see things like this and you just kind of go, no, that's not how it would be. <laughs> or when they say something, they just would never say, you know? Yeah, and um, Robert Rodriguez said, if they're ever paying attention to the continuity, you failed um, in telling a story. And I think that's true. Like, if the movie was really engaging, you probably wouldn't even notice that. You know, like, yep. because you're so invested in the characters and everything, you haven't noticed that, oh, they're wearing a different color shoe to the last shot. You know what I mean? But once you start noticing those things, then the movie has failed to engage you. Look, as well as the merchandising of this film, I always felt like every time you watch Spider-Man, there's a video game in it, and I could see the levels they were building, scene by scene. And I think parts of this were too silly. The Insumency yeah. Spider, for example... Yep. I hate this song, Insuency Spider. I'm not sure about oh, his that ringtone the song? being... I thought, I thought that was the old theme song of Spider-Man. I think you're right, it is Insuency Spider. Uh, <laughs> uh, when he bounces along doing the bass, that's Insuency Spider, but his ringtone was the Spider-Man yeah, theme. Yeah, it was the old Spider-Man theme, yeah. And I don't know about that, you know? Like, that sort of stuff takes you out of it. It's not... Yeah, it's not effective. I, I was such a big Spider-Man fan when I was young, and to be honest, I wasn't that big on the Sam Raimi movies, and I'm not big on the current Spider-Man. Maybe, maybe Spider-Man wasn't that good. Like, it's one of those things I'll have to venture back into, reading the comic books, watching TV series, going, yeah, this is a bunch of crap. <laughs> I just remember loving it when I was young. <laughs> I, I had a ton of Spider-Man comics, and I thought it was great, but it's always tricky with adaptations. I mean... And now we're up to, what, the fifth Spider-Man movie. Yeah. I thought I would point out the Green Goblin appears at 1 hour 57 minutes into this film. (laughs) It's pretty long. Hugely secondary villain, uh, like Topher Grace in Venom. And it takes four minutes of screen time for him to kidnap and cause the death of Gwen Stacy. So we are treated to not very much Green Goblin at all. Like, yeah. He's been wasted in this film. Let's hope they do something with him in the next one. Um, the one scene I thought was handled all right was um, the death of Gwen Stacy. I didn't enjoy the outstretched hand slow motion. <laughs> yeah, wedding. everyone brings that up. I thought they were in their right to to put that little symbolism in, but maybe it was just too cute. You know, it was just yeah. too yeah. I mean, 
Yeah. Look, I think the back-breaking sound effect, everything was pretty epic there. Um, I mean, I saw it coming a mile away, don't get me wrong. But, um, but I like that death. But- it, it, it's too. It, maybe it's too beautiful. She's too pristine, beautiful body. But I just love the fragility. It's like you're shown all this amazing agility with Spider-Man, Green Goblin, and Electro. And this big fall that happens. And Spider-Man does his best to save her. And it's a simple crack. You know, and that's the end of life. That just shows how fragile the humans are, like uh, in, in this world. And I think we have to be reminded of that because you're so you're always bombarded with these terrific action scenes, and just to see that's just like, oh yeah, that's right, people can die in this world. So it was a very good death. I I, I got to admit that. Quick spoilers here for the Christopher Nolan Batman. If you haven't seen it, I don't know where you've been, but um. <laughs> You know how they kill Rachel in that film. Yeah. I wonder if because something like that was effective, even though it was a different actress, I wonder if it was something like that that they went, oh, this is the way to do a good trilogy nowadays. We gritty reboot Amazing Spider-Man, and then the second part we have to kill off his love. Yeah, well, and I so- think you mentioned in a podcast the second one always has to be darkest, um, sort of like Empire Strikes Back. Somebody really has to suffer. I think, does Yoda? No, Yoda dies in the third one. And um, Obi-Wan dies in the first one. Okay, maybe I'm wrong here. (laughs) But yeah, generally the second one has to be the darkest. Yeah. I don't know. uh, Probably Back to the Future, the second one was the darkest. um, Just to keep on Captain America 2 wasn't that dark. I I still haven't seen it, Lloyd. Oh, you haven't seen it? Okay, I'm not going to spoil it. No. How can you not see Captain America 2? It was amazing. (laughs) uh, uh, Godfather 2 is pretty dark, I guess yeah yeah okay um look the bit with rhino at the end paul giamatti i mean we're supposed to believe that he's you know just a a crook driving a truck and then he can be taught how to drive this tank of a rhino suit you know (laughs) he's obviously picked it up very quickly and the kid reminded me of uh tiananmen square like standing up to the tank you know just like somebody going and standing up against it i don't know if that's what they're going for but um, every time he had to speak, he revealed his face. And there was like a billion cops who could have taken a shot at him. <laughs> and I just had to write shoot him down. Now. Was, shoot him now while the mask is off. you got a great line of sight. While he's yelling at that kid, just shoot him in the face. <laughs> just get him talking. And everybody, there's always like a billion bystanders. I know New York is busy. But feel like more people would have run at different points. <laughs> you know, as you say, we're fragile, us humans. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I didn't really rate this film. Um, there's lots of problems with it, but I do agree with you. The runtime was heavily, heavily yeah, th- bad. That's my biggest criticism is the runtime. But I, I actually like this better than the first one. There are really good points of this movie, so I would recommend it. I, I think it's a fun couple of hours if you see it with your family. But it's but it is a very very flawed movie. Well, the next movie we're going to talk about, guys, is Predestination next week. So uh, if you haven't seen Ethan Hawke in Predestination, it's made by a couple of Aussies. Sarah Snook is in it. She's an Aussie actress. You may enjoy it if you enjoy time travel and complex movies. Uh, I'm giving away another letter now. The letter is A in the anagram competition we have running. Uh, Just to quickly recap, um, we're giving away letters on all of our podcasts up until we've spelt out the name of an actor or actress. And uh, as we give out those letters, you can try and make a guess. And if you contact us through the Facebook page, send a message to Podme if you can, or you can tweet us if you have a guess when you've got enough letters to think you know who it is. 
we're giving away a Podme if you can prize pack. Should be fun, Lloyd. Yeah, it should be awesome. Good luck, guys. And uh, do you want to just tell us about the YouTube channel we've got going on? Yeah, guys, check out our YouTube channel. We've just passed the 50th milestone, I think, uh, doing a special on Chuck Norris. We do five-minute reviews of really obscure movies, so they're not very long, guys. So if you've got a, a few minutes during your lunch break at work or something, check us out on YouTube. We review movies that you'd never... You know, um, obscure m- movies. Sometimes they're made for TV. Sometimes they went straight to video. And often with actors that you've heard of, such as Brad Pitt and... Um, and others <laughs> so you should definitely check that out it's really cool there have been a ton of different ones it's very interesting to discover these obscure movies with somebody famous in them yeah some of, of these uh, movies are just fin- garbage <laughs> yeah there's often a reason nobody's heard of them we found a lot of sort of five out of ten movies yeah yeah it's interesting. They're, yeah they're really painful to watch so you don't have to watch the whole movie you can just watch our review <laughs> Well, in the anagram competition, guys, I did give out, I think, a couple of letters on the um, 100th episode. So if uh, that's where it begins, if you start there, this is episode 101. It's going to continue until somebody wins these DVDs from us. And uh, we'll, of course, announce it on the podcast and on Facebook and stuff when somebody does get it. And uh, they're going to win. They're going to win, Lloyd. It's going to be good. (laughs) All right, guys, find more from us, www.podmeifyoucan.com. You can... uh, Rate us in iTunes if you listen that way. And otherwise, predestination next week. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Pod me if you can. Movie reviews.